Christian, you've come to Christ. Don't start to think that the Christian life is a matter of do's and don'ts and not touching this and not touching that. Jesus says, out of the mouth, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and that's what defiles a man. Verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, violence, adulteries, lusts, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. You see, you and I, we've got a problem down deeper than our hands, than washing our hands. Our problem, Jesus said, and he points it out in such a vivid way, is what comes from the heart. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Things Which Defile the Man. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Then some Pharisees, verse 1, and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, remember, and maybe if you're fairly new to the Bible or to Jesus' life even, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes were the religious leaders. Uh, they were coming from Jerusalem, the capital down in the south. Jesus has just been on the sea, so we know he's up in the north, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they came from Jerusalem and they asked him a question, but notice it's an accusatory question. Uh, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Their concern was not that Jesus' followers, Jesus' disciples, were transgressing the word of God, but rather the tradition of men, the elders. Uh, many people... Let me just add, many people that I meet today are more concerned about uh, their religious traditions than they are the Word of God. More concerned about man's standards than God's standards. Maybe you. Uh, it's possible to spend your life worrying about... Uh, what people think rather than what God thinks. Uh, I, as I was mulling this passage over, a verse that kept coming to my mind, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and he was so thankful. It was a very healthy church in Thessalonica. A lot of the epistles, by the way, you can, you know, they're written to the Thessalonians, people that lived in Thessalonia that had come to know Christ. And Paul had brought the gospel to them, and he said, I thank the Lord that when you heard from us, the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. He, a healthy church, Thessalonica, was founded because they accepted God's word for what it was, the word of God, rather than the word of men. And that's a contrast that we'll see all the way through this passage. But they're coming concerned about 
the word of man, the tradition of man, and their specific, verse 2, they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, this wasn't, they weren't concerned about a matter of hygiene. Uh, this is ritualistic religion, the elder's tradition, that you must wash your hands and let them dry. And you had to hold them up like this, and they had to drip dry. You couldn't dry them off, and you had to do it you know, twice, and you had to make... It was all about ceremonial cleansing, and it was based on the Talmud and the Mishnah, man's comments on the Old Testament, uh, like we would think of commentaries almost, and sadly, they carried more weight, man's traditions and man's commentaries, than God's word itself. Uh, most of us, being Gentiles and being removed a couple thousand years probably need a little bit of instruction here because they weren't just saying, hey, you got to wash up before you eat. I mean, that makes sense hygienically, you know. But uh, turn over to Mark 7 uh, or just listen to this because the parallel passage, this is recorded for us in Mark also. And uh, Mark is written to, Matthew, remember, is written to a Jewish audience, so he didn't really have to explain much. The Jews knew <laughs> what he's talking about. But the Romans, that was Mark's audience, uh, be a little bit more like us, most of us being Gentile, most of us being fairly secular, not understanding their Jewish traditions. Uh, here's what Mark wrote. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him when, they came from, when they'd come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. And then he puts in parentheses, kind of for us Gentiles, you know. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they've received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And he just kind of explains for Gentile readers. And if you were to go back and look into this, it was very ceremonial and it was very to kind of cleanse yourself from the defilement of being downtown Portland, you know, in the marketplace. That's what he says. When they came back from the market, they had to go through different rituals. That's what they're accusing Jesus' disciples of uh, neglecting to do. Well, Jesus, look at verse 3 now, back in our text. He answered them, and uh, he answers with a question. He answers their question with a question. Interestingly, he answers their accusatory question with an accusatory question of his own. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of of your traditions. He calls their bluff, if you will, and he points out to them that they transgress the commandment of God in order to keep the traditions of men. Why, for the sake of your tradition, do you uh, transgress the very command of God? Well, the natural question might be, well, how'd they do that? Because, you see, often man-made religion will cause people to go against God's revelation, God's word, and they don't even know they're doing it sometimes, or it's good at least to point it out, 
Okay? So Jesus does, verse 4. God said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not bound to honor his father or his mother. And thus, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus says, let me, let me illustrate. And look at verse 4. God said, and then he quotes Exodus. And then verse 5. But, contrast, you religious leaders say. Can I just, as a sideline here, point out that when you pick up God's word, the Bible, whether you're in Exodus or Ephesians or Matthew, God is speaking. God said, and then he quotes scripture, but you say. So he clearly delineates between what God is saying and what man is saying. God's word said to honor your parents and to not speak evil of them. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by, I'd like to honor you, but I have devoted everything I have to God. And then you are not bound to help your parents. He said, you're invalidating the word of God. Again, uh, let me just read it from Mark's account because he's writing to Gentiles. And they had this practice. And it's not unlike some today who would uh, use their religion to trump God's word, you might say. And uh, he said, in Mark, he just puts it this way. If a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by is korban. It means gift or given. And they use this term korban. I've just devoted everything to God. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. You nicely set aside, he says, the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You, look back at our text now, verse 7, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Isaiah spoke of you, and he points at them as he speaks. Isaiah, when he called out hypocrites, he was talking to you. Rightly did Isaiah say of you in chapter 29 of Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. You hypocrites. Now, we, we use that term today a lot, uh, and I think it's almost universally in a despicable. You don't want to be a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. But uh, it comes from a term that was from the acting world, uh, from play acting, you might say. And the idea that Jesus is calling out is that they were acting like something, but it wasn't real. You know, and that's, I think we all understand it pretty much that way. And in so doing, you hypocrites, you're pretending to be devoted to God, and yet you're invalidating God's word. In so doing, look at verse 9, you are worshiping me, 
in vain, in vain. Now, I just want to let this kind of soak in a bit. Lip service. It is so easy to honor God with our lips, the first line of verse 8. It's so easy to talk a good game, to just say things about our relationship to God. Uh, He said, you honor me with your lips. A lot of people speak and talk a good game, but in reality, notice the next line, their heart is far away from me. He contrasts lips and heart, mouth and reality, outward and inward. Washing up your hands, going through rituals versus your heart. Watch over your heart, the Bible says, Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. Boy, that's a great, uh, great thought to remember. And uh, this kind of lip service without a real heart goes hand in hand, notice verse 9, with vain worship, and it's described, point blank. Teaching. There are churches that are worshiping in vain. There are buildings full of people around America and around the world in places of worship, worshiping in vain, sometimes under Christian emblems, sometimes under Muslim emblems, sometimes under the external religions. You can worship in vain. And specifically, notice how it's described. Teaching as their teachings, as their doctrines, the precepts of men rather than the word of God. Wow. To me, this is very, very instructive. Uh, Is it a problem today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I find that by nature, almost by default, I would say, we tend to listen to men versus God. And hence, religions that are man-made or that become corrupted and hypocritical, it's very easy to quote and teach man's words versus God's word. God's word isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it offends. Sometimes it surprises. It always instructs, uh, but we're tempted to teach other than God's word. Jesus, you know, spoke of uh, false worship and true worship. Here he's speaking of vain worship. Um, Paul spoke at Athens about worshiping in ignorance. There are a lot of people that worship that which they don't. He said, you guys are worshiping in ignorance. Paul said that. And then he called out that we can come to God through the revelation of what he's given us. And our worship must be in spirit and in truth, Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said it this way. Turn over there to John 4. Just listen to his comment on worship. Because we should worship Jesus. He's seeking worshipers. Uh, John 4 they, this gal that he was talking with kind of got him involved in a, in a discussion about worship. And so he said, uh, you worship, verse 22, he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, you worship that which you do not know. Whole groups of people worship whom they do not know. He said, we worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus himself uh, came from Israel. An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, Just because of time, I'll just suggest to you that we're to worship in spirit and in truth. And Paul describes worshiping in spirit in Philippians 3. He said there's the false circumcision and then the true circumcision who worship in the spirit and put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, Mark that. When you come to God in real worship, you're not putting any confidence in yourself or your flesh. You're putting full confidence in him. And that's the beginning point of worship. Worship must be according to Scripture, and Scripture is everywhere pointing out that we cannot come to God in our own merit. We cannot come to God in our own righteousness. Well, he went on to say, verse 11, uh, excuse me, verse 10, he called to himself the multitude and said to them, now hear and understand. He kind of shifts from looking at the Pharisees because they're not teachable. And so he mentions to the crowd around him, and he said, he called to the multitude and said, now listen up, hear this. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, that defiles the man. They were saying, Cleanse yourself and be careful what you put in. That's man's way of thinking of it. Jesus said, you know, what you, what you put in, that's not really what defiles you. What comes out of the mouth, what comes from deeper, that's where the defilement comes. Now, the disciples came and said to him, do you know, do you know that the, the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? They, I think they were concerned. The, the influencers, the big guys here, the people movers, you know, they were offended, Lord, when you said this. The opinion makers didn't like what he said, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. I don't care how much foliage there is, how great a plant's looking. If the Father didn't plant it, it'll, it'll, it'll wither away. And he's saying this right in response to their concern about the Pharisees. The Pharisees seemed like the religious people of the day, and they were. But Jesus said, hey, if they're not planted by the Father, I don't care how big the plant is, it's going to be rooted up. Let them alone, verse 14. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Wow, what an indictment. They're blind. They're leading other blind people. Boy, don't get caught letting your religious guide be a blind person. And I'm not speaking now about physical blindness. Jesus wasn't either, of course. He's talking about the reality. Many people blindly follow some religious leader who is just as blind as they are and leading toward the abyss. Jesus warns. Well, Peter answered and said to him, explain the parable to us. Well, I'm not sure there's a parable here. I guess there is. But Peter says, Lord, uh, explain this to us. Verse 16, are you still without understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? And yet I know people, I'm editorializing here, 
who think that they're commended to God by their diets, by what they won't eat and will eat, what they won't drink and what they will drink. Whole religions spring up within Christendom and whole other world religions where your diet is the key. He says, are you not without understanding? What passes into the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But the things, verse 18, that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. What comes out of the mouth? Well, it comes, first of all, from where? Jesus said, what we say, what comes out of our mouth, comes from the heart. He's turning it around. It's not so much keeping yourself from the external defilement, but rather the internal defilement. Before I open that up, just for a moment, listen to Paul over in Colossians because there's this tendency, and I run into it all the time, and I'm sure you do too. Listen to what they were saying in Colossae. If you died with Christ, Paul writes, to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Christian, you've come to Christ. Don't start to think that the Christian life is a matter of do's and don'ts and not touching this and not touching that. He says, if you've come to know Christ, don't get caught up in that kind of external stuff. Now, back here to our text. Jesus says, out of the mouth, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and that's what defiles a man. Verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders violence, adulteries, lusts, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. You see, you and I, we've got a problem down deeper than our hands and washing our hands. Our problem, Jesus said, and he points it out in such a vivid way, is what comes from the heart. Why is it that we need laws against murder and adultery and fornication and slander and stealing? Why is it that every man, woman, and child is tempted with these things? That we would, when we're thinking clearly, yeah, that's not good, but we're still tempted. Why? Because we have a heart problem. We were born wrong. We need to be born again. You need to become a new creature. And Jesus Christ offered himself as the solution to our problems. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Things Which Defile the Man, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. If you've ever wanted Pastor Scott's sermon library in the palm of your hand, we have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Christ didn't come for those who can help themselves. God helps those who help. You hear that? It's not in the Bible. It never was. It never will be. No, God helps those who admit they're helpless. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for, this one really is shocking. Look at verse 6. He died for who? The good people? No. Romans has already said there are no good people for the ungodly. And then he says, he so demonstrated his love, verse 8, that he died for us while we were sinners. And we were his, verse 10, enemies. This is the fourfold description of whom Christ came for. Helpless, ungodly, sinners, actually enemies of God. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Come to God as a Helpless Sinner. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.